0: Hi, this is Dave Thomavore and you are listening to Tale of the Manticore.
1: The following podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to Tale of the Manticore, Season 2. Like the creature from which it takes its name, Tale of the Manticore is a mashup, a crossbreeding between two different species of storytelling. Here you will find the unpredictability of old-school RPG paper and dice games with the storycraft of a dark fantasy novel. No character is sacred, and no character will be spared if the dice decide their fate is at hand. According to lore, the Tale of a Manticore is barbed with cruel iron spikes. There will be much pain in the days ahead. Last time on Tale of the Manticore Chapter 40 begins with the real Catsbane and Romola, the imposter Catsbane, standing face to face on either side of the door to Bazu's room at the Turning Bull Inn. When the illusionist realizes her deception has failed, she tries to cast a spell of Paralyzation and make her escape. The spell doesn't work as she had hoped, but Casbane's fumbled attempt to attack her provides the chance she needs to get away. She runs for it, while her enemies are temporarily delayed, unable to get by the magic user blocking their path. But the party has contingency plans in place. Jace comes out of his room, blocking the way to the front door, and forcing Romola to run the other way, right past Shanae, who is waiting, magically invisible, to perform a rogue's backstab. Shane's blade connects as Romola passes by and sends the woman tumbling down the stairs. But incredibly, the wounded illusionist recovers and blunders out the door, right into a blizzard. Even a magic missile from Catsbane, now at the second-story window, cannot stop her from getting away. Romola disappears into the falling snow and escapes the companions for a second time. That same blizzard forces Yellowfly and his gang to remain in Mirpool for an extra day before they can return to Silmoral. But ultimately, the mission is a success, with the sword and the cleric both safe and sound. While they've been away, the two captains, Krell and Sindwan, have been busy dealing with the fallout from Colfrey's sudden impairment. Their eventual solution? Keep the king in his own dungeon while creating a cover that pushes the following fiction. The king is leaving on a pilgrimage, seeking to cure his illness through faith. With Culfrey out of the picture, the captains are positioned to be the two most powerful people in Somoral. But can they really trust one another? Only time and the dice will tell. Chapter 41. Part 1. Day 117. Night. Party status. Yellowfly. 30 of 30 hit points. Shawnee. 19 of 19. Jace. 26 of 26. Catsbane, 12 of 12. Spells available. Catsbane has memorized Magic Missile, Read Languages, Invisibility, and Mirror Image. The companions made their way as quickly as they could to the Church of the Sacred Flame. Teragram had instructed them to report back the minute they returned, no matter what time of day or night. Getting the silver-thorn blade safely inside the church's walls was of paramount importance, he had said. Although it was not so late at night, just an hour past sundown, the streets and alleys of Silmoral were silent and lifeless. They were also utterly clogged with snow from the recent blizzard. It was cold, and the companions were feeling both tired and apprehensive. They did not want to run into a patrol of the Night's Watch. Their easy reception upon entering the city was not guaranteed to recur. It would be best to get inside as soon as possible. Somehow, the dark stones of the Church of the Sacred Flame looked even more somber than usual as they approached. There were no lights visible through the church's slit windows. This was the first sign that something was wrong. The second was the enormous loop of chain and equally large padlock securing the front door of the main building. They went around back to the rectory, by the time they reached it, every one of them had a heavy feeling in their breast. They quickened their pace. Soon, they could make out a shape on the door. There was something nailed to it. A notice. Bazoo jogged ahead. He was rereading it, this time aloud. by the time the rest of the party caught up.
2: Whereas we have taken into our royal consideration, it is hereby decreed that all properties and chattel belonging to the Church of the Sacred Flame be held in custody for an indefinite period of time. "'By royal order, all residents are hereby placed under arrest, "'pending the trial of the following, accused of treason.'"
1: Bazu skimmed through a list of some three dozen names before coming to the end. Then, in a voice of incredulity, he read
2: the final three. "'Brother Eckhart? Brother Taragrim? High Priestess Aranas? "'Sadal, protect us. Has the world gone mad?' Bazu
1: collapsed against Caspain, who, taken by surprise, Could do nothing but catch the man in his arms, pat him on the back, and try to console him. That must be every single member of the church," said Chaney, aghast. "Not quite every member," Ilafly replied humorlessly, indicating Basia. "But we can talk about it later. Right now, we best get away from here. The Fall Fellows nearby. We can spend the night there." This episode, if I had to guess, more or less marks the midpoint of season two. Season 1 ran for 76 episodes, and now here we are at episode 41. When I started the campaign, I imagined it going a little longer. Not too much so, but enough for the characters to reach a higher level than their predecessors, if they survived, that is. And would you believe it, today is also a level-up episode for Shawn a., who achieves level 6. If she were to make it all the way to the end of the season, she could potentially reach level 11 or 12. Just a bit of perspective that suddenly occurred to me as I was reaching for her character sheet. Anyway, let's get to it. For reaching level 6, Shawnee receives several rewards. First up, new hit points. It's only a d4, but it's better than nothing. And she does get a constitution bonus. The roll. A 2. Well, plus 1 for her constitution bonus is 3. Not fantastic, but still okay. Shanae's maximum goes from 19 to 22. Next up, our potential stat increases. For strength, she's been swinging her sword a lot lately. Is she any stronger? Nope, I got a one. Intelligence. Five. Wisdom. Three. Oh boy, this level up is pretty underwhelming so far. Dexterity. Uh, Five. Close. How about constitution? Has all the cold winter weather toughened her up? A six. I guess it has. Her 14 goes to a 15. And, oh hang on, this could be big. Uh, I checked, and her bonus here remains at plus one. She'll need to reach a constitution of 16 before the bonus switches to plus 2. One more roll. Charisma. A 5. Shawnee's thief skills will improve modestly with this level up too. Along with her magical gloves of dexterity, she is actually getting to the point where she is more used to the party than she is a danger to herself, an unfortunate reality for all low-level members of that class. By way of example, her open locks and pickpocket chances for success are now a respectable 55%. She can move silently with a forty-five and find and remove traps with a forty. Not too bad, I suppose. Alright, with that done, it's time to return to the narrative. By now, Yellowfly will have led his companions round the back of the Fall Fallow Inn. He has a friend, a cook, who works there and who will still be there at this hour despite the dearth of customers. He'll let them inside and into the cellar where they can spend the night safely and for free. Shawnee leaned against a crate and regarded the narrow wooden stairs that were flush against the far wall and led up. The companions were spending the night in the same place where she, Illifly, Cole, and Tamlin had defeated the Weeping Eye Guild members just a few months earlier. How much life had changed since then, and how much she had changed personally. Shawnee felt almost like an entirely different person. Loss could do that to you, she supposed. Both Cole and Tam were gone, and right there on the stairs, her man, Kern, had succumbed to an enemy blade. In the games they played, she thought wistfully, life was cheap. Shani was jolted out of reverie when Bazu, who sat on the floor beside her and had been almost silent on the way here from the Church of the Sacred Flame, suddenly blurted out,
2: It's impossible! I simply refuse to believe it! There's no way any of the brethren were plotting treason against the king, no matter what they thought about him privately. I oh. How can this have happened?
1: Bazu shook his head from side to side, and then suddenly deflated.
2: Perhaps they have discovered Aranessa's false symbol? Could it could it be true?
1: Bazu knew about the caper to switch the false symbol for the real one. Teregrim had told him everything about the people he would be traveling with before they had left for Mirpool a few days before. Shanae turned and put a hand on his knee. When she spoke, her voice was soft. A few months ago she would not have shown such gentleness. But she really wasn't the same person anymore. She used to see the world in terms of hunters and prey. Did she still subscribe to that paradigm? I had a friend once. He was, well, you remind me of him in some ways, I suppose. She could feel Tam's orphaned key on its chain under her shirt, where the cool metal rested against her skin. Bazoo looked up in mild surprise. Shana had not really spoken to him much since they had met. He told me a kind of story, a parable, he called it.
2: He was a follower of Sadal? Asked Bazu, sniffing.
1: No. Shatun, but I think the story contains some wisdom that might soothe your mind. Would you like to hear it?
2: The clerics of Sadal and the followers of Shatun have long been friends. I would hear this wisdom if it pleases you, Shane.
1: Yellowfly was sitting with his back to a barrel a short distance away. He looked up, nodded, and cast Shane a supportive smile. He, too, wanted to hear her story. Well then... I shall do my best to get it right. Let's see, how did town begin? The Parable of the Rat and the Ox One day, long, long ago, just a little after the time that the universe was created, Rat and Ox were having an argument about the color of the sea. Rat insisted that the vast expanse of rolling waves was blue, while Ox maintained that it was, and had always been, green. The two argued and argued until they could argue no more. Neither would change their mind. They refused to even budge in their opinions. Ox claimed that the ocean's greenness was plain to see, while Rat claimed that the gods of creation themselves had told him that it was blue. Eventually, they decided to bring the dispute before one of the minor gods to finally settle the matter. They chose Bluem, because she was the goddess of law, and justice, and reason. Each side argued their case passionately, as though the color of the sea was itself on trial, while Em listened on impartially. "'Why, anyone can see how green the waters are,' said Ox. "'The gods of creation themselves have told me it is, in fact, blue,' countered Rat." On and on they went, until, at long last, Em gave her decision. "'Rat is correct,' intoned the deity. And that was that. Rat went away smug and self-satisfied while Ox was instructed to remain in Bluem's divine presence. As for you Ox, you will be punished for your failure. Henceforth, all of your children and your children's children will face a lifetime of hard labor, said the divinity. Ox accepted his punishment. After all, it had been decided by a god. However, before he left Bluem's divine presence, he bowed and said to her, Almighty Bluem, I wished to apologize and now accept that I was wrong. You were not wrong, replied the goddess, simply. Ox was both shocked and confused. Bluem continued, You and Rat were both correct. The sea is blue. It is also green. Ox summoned his courage and dared to request, May I ask a question? Ask, replied the deity. If I was correct, why did you punish me? Bluem looked at Ox with eyes as clear as a summer sky and spoke a final time. Ox, I did not punish you because you were wrong about the color of the ocean. I punished you because you foolishly wasted time arguing with Rat, who is known to be a liar. Bazu tried to find sleep while meditating on the lesson of the parable. Was he the Ox, he wondered? After their long walk from Mirpool, he was tired in his bones, but his mind would not rest. Eventually, he drifted off into light, fitful sleep, waking every hour or so with bad dreams. He was using his pack as a pillow, and every time he woke, Basu found himself adjusting it to find a more comfortable spot to lay his head. The third time he awoke, this time from an especially disturbing nightmare, he once again shifted his pack there had been something small and hard pressing against his cheek through the leather. Now wide awake, and with his heart still pounding from the nightmare's visions, Bazu sat up in total darkness and rummaged through his bag, trying to locate the offending item. His fingers discovered an unfamiliar pouch made of soft leather. It was small and bound with rough twine. Bazu was quite sure he didn't own anything like that. Blindly, he undid the twine and sniffed at the little pouch. It had a faint smell of sulfur to it that made Bazu wrinkle his nose. Poking a finger around inside, he felt a trio of little hard objects within. Frowning, the cleric retied the twine and tossed the unfamiliar shape into the far corner of the cellar. Tomorrow, if he remembered, he would go and see what it was, but for now, he found himself suddenly drowsy. Bazu lay down, his pack now functioning properly as a pillow, and fell fast asleep. He comes as a mortal who will never die for the laws of the gods he will ever defy. A king with no subjects, crown, or throne. In his wary hand, he carries cards of flesh, fire, and bone. Imprisoned in ice for crimes of the divine, Fishes ever spreading to be broken in time. Like what you heard, have a listen to the Dice Bar Gaming Podcast, a dark fantasy actual play podcast set in an original
3: world and an original storyline, which spans over now 120
1: episodes. We utilize the Pathfinder One E rule set. Tried to keep the adventure and role play serious but tell widely inappropriate jokes in between. If this is your cup of tea, please give us a listen on the podcaster of your choice. Chapter 41, part two, day 118, night. Sergeant Koch interrupted Captain Krell while the latter was breaking his fast on a small meal of goat cheese and boiled eel. Koch was a broad-chested, thick-necked man. He had a scar running vertically through his upper and lower lip on the left side, in the spot where he'd once taken a dagger slash to the face. It's done, sir.
2: All of them? All, sir. We took them into custody yesterday evening. They're in the dungeons even now. The high priestess as well? As I say, we took them all. Aroness is in her own single cell.
1: Krell dabbed his mouth with a napkin.
2: Good. I will speak to her personally, as you wish. And the others? Most
3: can wait, but for now, move the two elder priests as well. Separate cells.
1: Krell rose from his seat and looked down the bent blade of his nose at Koch. The man had done well and was as loyal as a dog.
3: And Koch, there's one other thing.
1: Why has Krell ordered the arrest of every cleric in the Church of the Sacred Flame? To be honest, I'm not quite sure. I just thought it would be a cool way to move the plot. Still, although extreme, the action is not arbitrary. There have been signs for a long time that the clerics of Sadal and the City Watch have been at odds. As far back as Episode 8, there were clues that the Watch was interested in them. Remember that map in Balak's office with the Iron Ring paperweights? Also, in a storage room on the third floor of the Tower of the City Watch, there is a counterfeit holy symbol, the one Shanae swapped with the real symbol, at Aranesa's bidding. Perhaps the duplicity was discovered by Krell after he took over following Belak's assassination. There could be other factors at play that have nothing to do with that, too. Krell seems to have a relationship with the High Priest of Veseluna, and we know there's no love between the two churches, so that might offer an explanation. Finally, the church might have done something while the PCs were away in Mirpool to provoke Krell. Slagging Colfrey's name publicly would do it, or even just lauding the efforts of those who upset the king's three days of blood and justice during their sermons. Could Araness have even come to believe and then announce that the king is in league with demonic forces? It might be a combination of these things too. I'm going to make it random and roll a d8. I haven't made a table in a while, so let's make one using the ideas just put forward. Okay, how's this? On a 1 to 2, Krell has discovered that the holy symbol in the tower is a fake. On a 3 to 4, Krell is making a move to aid his allies in the Church of Vesaluna. On a 5 to 6, the Church of the Sacred Flame has done something to provoke the mass arrests. And finally, on a 7 to 8, it will be a combination of two of these things. Rolling a d8. I got a 2. Krell has discovered that the holy symbol is a counterfeit.
3: And Koch. There's one other thing. Yes, sir.
1: On the table beside the various dishes and breakfast items was a heavy disc of red gold encrusted with the jewels. It was the true holy symbol of Sadal that Krell had suspected they might find if the church was raided. Krell had only held the job as captain of the city watch for a short time, under two months, and he'd been so busy. First with the numerous little tasks that came with learning a new position offered suddenly, and then there was the business with the king. It had taken him a while to fully go through all of Belloc's papers and his storage room. When he finally got around to these tasks, he had discovered the false holy symbol and immediately become suspicious. He had taken it to a jeweler to be examined closely, and the man had said, cringingly, Tragically, sire, it is almost entirely worthless. On the wall behind Krell, standing like a framed shadow, was a life-size portrait of King Culfrey, in truth, it was larger than life size, as the painter had clearly taken liberties with the king's dimensions. He stood taller than he ever had in the flesh, and as usual, he was flanked by flower bearing children. His expression was likewise an exaggeration. In the portrait, Colfrey smiled a beneficent smile, and his eyes shone with warmth. In reality, the king had usually worn a disdainful sneer. This was matched by Krell, who frowned sourly down at the holy symbol on the table.
3: Regardless of the information the priests volunteer, I want you to tell each of them that the other has revealed everything, and that you only ask to confirm what is already known. Do not allow them to ask you any questions. Understood?
1: Yes, sir, repeated Captain Koch.
3: Very good. Then I think that will be all-
1: At that moment, the door banged open and Sindwan barged in. His eyes were full of alarm. He explained without waiting to be asked.
0: Terrible news. The King's fool has escaped. I've had men search the whole castle. He is gone. How did this happen?
1: Demanded Krell, a storm beginning
0: to brew on his face. We had him in the small barracks, under constant watch. But somehow he persuaded the guard to move him to another room. Since the room he suggested was an interior room, a scullery with no windows or other visible exits, the guard agreed. Of course, you'll be able to guess what happened next.
3: The moment the guard turned his back, the fool
1: slipped out through a secret door. Krell ran a hand down over his face. "'Can our men
0: really be so stupid?' Sindhwan blinked as Krell's spittle sprayed him. "'If you say so, my lord. The castle is riddled with these secret doors and tunnels. The guard discovered the one in the scullery quickly enough, but it led to a whole network of servants' lanes and corridors. A labyrinth. The jester could be anywhere.'
3: "'Order your men to have these passages scoured
0: completely.' "'I have already done so,' sighed Sindhwan. "'When did this happen?'
1: Krell did not try to hide his irritation with the other man.
0: Thirty minutes ago. Might as well accept it, Krell. Briar Patches is gone.
1: Chapter 41 Part 3 Day 119 Early Afternoon Party Status Yellowfly 30 of 30 Hit Points
3: I'm glad you came, Yellowfly.
1: I'm not sure how I would have found you. And we need to talk. Yellowfly had gone to the Lord Rabbit's residence that morning after his friend, the cook at the Fall Fallow Inn, had sneaked down a basket full of leftover breakfast. There wasn't much in the basket, and the cook had apologized that they just didn't have many customers these days. He was further sorry to tell them that they'd need to find a new place to stay The owner of the inn was scheduled to visit later that day, and he always conducted a full inventory of the kitchens and cellars personally. Yellowfly had thanked him and tried to pay, but Fly's money was no good with the cook, who chucked him on the shoulder and thanked him on behalf of the whole city for what he had done at Bertram Square in the autumn. Yellowfly had modestly deflected the credit to Catsbane and Shawnee before the cook left them to eat their small meal and gather their belongings. After, he had made his way through the warren into the St. Claren district and to the Lord Rabbit's residence. Glinnis had let him in and, as usual, she had a baby in the crook of her arm. She showed him to her husband's study, where the other man was sitting and smoking a pipe. Oh, I know what happened at the Church of the Sacred Flame.
3: You do? Well, word travels fast, replied the other man. Care for a
1: pipe? Thank you, no, replied Yellowfly, taking off his cloak and draping it over the back of a chair. As you will, but like I said, we need to talk. Go on then. Lord Rabbit took a long draw on his pipe and puffed out a cloud of aromatic smoke. I have another job for you. It's
3: a hard one, and that's why you're getting it.
1: Please don't tell me you want me to arrange a prison break for three dozen clerics. Lord Rabbit gave him a level look and laughed humorlessly. Ah,
3: no. Perhaps if we were living in a fantasy world, I would suggest such a thing but seeing as though we're stuck in reality. I don't think that would be possible, even for you. What then? I need to get someone clear of Silmaril. Take them to a friend of mine.
1: And this person cannot simply walk out of the gates on their own, I suppose. Lord Rabbit sniffed.
3: You suppose rightly. No, this is a person currently being hunted by every guard in the city. Did you not see more patrols than usual on your way here?
1: Well, now that you mention it, I did. It took me a dog's age to get here. And I just assumed that was how so moral was now.
3: No, no. This person is the most wanted man alive at this moment. Getting him clear of the city will take care and ingenuity. I see. When
1: can I meet him? Rabbit took another pull in his pipe before he answered. You can meet him right now. He's hiding in my cellar. Yellowfly's eyebrows went up at that. Oh, well, who is he? What's his name?
3: His name is Briar Patches. And until recently, he was the royal fool.
1: Thank you for listening to Tale of the Manticore. If you've enjoyed the show and would like to help to support it, there are loads of ways to do so. You can recommend it online or to friends. You can like and retweet episode announcements on Twitter. You can pick up One Shot in the Dark. The Pendulum Building Tool, or Encyclopedia Manticorica on Drive RPG. By the way, speaking of Encyclopedia Manticorica, I have finally updated it with maps from Season 1. Sorry for the delay on that. Finally, you can rate or review the show on your podcatcher of choice. Thanks to everyone for their support of the show. I'm also excited to share with you that Tale of the Manticore is now available on Pajirama Listen on Pajurama at www.pajurama.com. There's a link in the show notes, too. At this time, please allow me to share one of your kind reviews. This one is from Apple Podcasts, and it was posted by John D. Hagen. John writes, Five out of five stars. The storyteller's fertile imagination is supplemented by rattling dice rolls, even though he does not know what is on the next page in this brilliant fantasy series akin to the Black Company novels by Glenn Cook, and accompanied by an atmospheric, minimalistic soundtrack, reminiscent of the music of John Carpenter lore has it the tale of the manticore is made of many thrilling twists and turns there will be much entertainment in the days ahead wow thanks so very much john i think i might have to hire you to be my pr rep you know to my shame the black company series is still on my to read list they're going to take away my grimdark membership cards if they find out so mums the word before they do please allow me to thank my excellent cast of voice actors it's yet another big talented cast in order of appearance, there's Bazu, played by Andrew Fling from the wonderful team over at Die Games. Simon J. Williams returning once again as Captain Krell. Check out his show, Legend of the Bones, for some excellent D&D solo content. Sergeant Koch is voiced by newcomer Blake Hussey. Find Blake at www.blakehussey.com or www.fiverr.com forward slash Blake Hussey VO. Thanks very much, Blake. Sindwan is given life by returning actor Tim of the Dungeon Dads podcast Finally, in the role of Lord Rabbit as always, it's Dirk the Dice of the Must Listen Grognard Files podcast Thanks to you all Andrew, Simon, Blake, Tim and Dirk the Dice For listeners who would like to get in touch with me I'm at Manticore Tale on Twitter or Tale of the Manticore Podcast on Instagram and as always email taleofthemanticore at gmail.com Finally, I keep a blog where I post all kinds of show- and RPG-related stuff, like art, maps, tables, crafts, and show notes. You can find it at taleofthemanticore.blogspot.com. The adventure will continue on the next episode of Tale of the Manticore. It's the story where chaos rolls. Now
0: this is a matter of supreme importance. Welcome... To stories from the first watch. This is both a solo game and an experiment in storytelling. The story and the character's actions will unfold upon the roll of the dice. They are in control. Be careful what you say or you have no tongue at all. Follow the exploits of a party of adventurers ...forced to take on a dangerous mission on behalf of a shadowy organisation. Just be careful when insulting minor lordlings. Their egos can be dangerous things. Available on Podbean, Spotify and Podchaser. And come and listen to more... ...Stories from The First Watch.